Six-Figure Developer Podcast, a podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Oren Enny. Oren is the founder of Hibernating Rhinos, which develops RavenDB, a NoSQL open source and ACID document database. Welcome, Oren. Hi, thank you for having me. So uh, before we sort of jump into the meat of you know what RavenDB is, would you give our listeners maybe a little introduction to yourself? Um, perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry. The fourth computer program that I can remember writing was instruction for a orange turtle to move left and right. That's <laughs> a logo in, I think, the 80s, uh, maybe early 90s. Uh, I remember that I had to convinced my mother to buy this supremely expensive Visual Studio 4 book so I could learn how to do interesting things with computer. I always knew that I wanted to work with computers. And for a while, I thought I would be in hardware, technician, operation side. And somehow I got into writing software. And then I wrote more and more software. Most of that was crap. <laughs> Some of that was like supreme crap. I remember at, uh, in 98 or 99, I wrote a forum software in ASP, ASP Classic, which means that I was writing in, a, <laughs> I was adventurous, I was writing in server-side JavaScript in the 90s. And uh, uh, and sometimes I w- was writing in VBScript on the server side and JavaScript on the client side, whatever client side there was. But I remember that I wrote this form software and it was a single file. And I didn't know about databases at the time, but I needed to store the uh, four messages. So I had this ingenious idea. And the script would open its own file write the content of the messages into the file and save it. So we are talking <laughs> about self-modifying code. And I remember looking into that and uh, uh, being so proud that I was able to write this 15,000 line of code that was a full website. It was basically mostly about uh, a massive amount of self-modifying nested uh, sweet statement code that somehow I managed to work. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I lost the code. I wish I had that because it, it's worth looking into that just for posterity's sake. Then I got into uh, the army and I spent four years just begging to the army, look, I know computers. I know a lot about computers. Let me work with computers. So the army, in its uh, a great, magnificent wisdom, decided to send me to prison. <laughs> yeah. 
So I spent four years in prison, starting from a prison guard as ending as a prison commander. What happened when you uh, when you send a gig to prison? They have to deal with people. Now, <laughs> people are annoying. Uh, in many cases, illogical. And worst case, you cannot debug them. I try. They keep shouting and running away. And they put me in front of a lot of people. And they had to deal with some tough situations and people who did not enjoy being in prison. Shocked. I know it's very shocking. The end result is that I, out of literally self-defense, had to understand how people work. It's funny when, when you look at that, but the, the person who got in and the person who got out of the army were completely different people. And there is no amount of money you can pay me to go through that again, but it was an extremely useful experience in terms of being able to understand and develop uh, uh, people's skills. I was being paid peanuts. Peanuts mean, meaning that under $100 a month, stuff like that. And I remember spending what is literally a monthly salary to buy a, a professional books, uh, operating system design implementation, uh, TCP internals, all bunch of stuff like that, and sitting and reading over that. As a prison commander, as a small prison commander, I had a lot of free time because the, most of my work was making sure that people didn't escape, and that was mostly handled by the uh, the walls. So I started to explore and research and do all sorts of stuff. Uh, by the way, here is an interesting uh, observation. I write database. I write databases for a living. It runs system that uh, uh, handles hundreds of millions of dollars every every day. To this day, the most mission-critical system for me is an Excel spreadsheet that would manage my prison. And the reason this is so important is that if there was a bug there, I would go to prison. I was in a place with no connectivity to the uh, military network. So I had a computer. I think it was like uh, running Windows 95 at the time. <laughs> and uh, uh, I had a computer, but no internet, no networking. If I wanted to contact my commander, I would have to go and call on the phone. I, there was no email. But I still needed to manage my system. So uh, also no way to install anything on the army computer. But it had Excel, and Excel had macros and VB. So I wrote an entire system there. That was the early 2000s, and I don't know if you remember that, but that was the heydays of the blogs. Mm-hmm. And thinking back, this uh, and maybe this is, you know, uh, rose color glasses, whatever, the amount of quality content that you had where people would write a 10-page article on something, Today, you're lucky if there is a tree statement, a tree tree thread with a a reader digest that you cannot understand if you're not in someone's head. So so what are you working on these days? Is is RavenDB keeping you fairly busy? Yeah. So one of the things that happened during this time was that I got really into Hibernate and databases in general. 
from store from having self modifying code to store the data inside the script i started uh, uh, getting deep into how application interact with a relational database and that was fascinating and interesting and i learned a lot and then i realized that eventually i become a consultant and most of what i did was go and talk about architectures and how you can make your application faster also we always the same reduce the number of queries that you send to the database have a better a uh, uh, system basically the same like five rules repeated infinitely and it was really annoying and at some point i decided that i can automate that so i did and there is a tool that would analyze the interaction of your system with of your application with the database and give you a recommendation and it was still not enough people kept doing really really stupid things at one point i was called to a company and they just spent 1 to 1.2 million dollars on their hardware to sustain their system now this was an advertising agency they had a, a, a tremendous amount of load and uh, it made sense that you know okay you need that kind of hardware it turns out that the high load on the system what i consider high load was the click stream analysis was basically write it to a, a text file and run a, i think it was a perl script every night to get the uh, aggregated data out so this was handled and that was 12 years ago something like that this would handle by inconsequential machine like something that you like a laptop or something like that and that was what they were worried about that was just handled and we're talking about something that handled uh, uh tens of thousands of requests per second on a, a, a decade or so ago the thing that they were worried about was their a, a management application that has at maximum 200 users and uh, that one was uh, 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 running at 95% utilization on the database system that was costing over a million dollars and the reason for that i remember that i looked into that and i, I, I i'm not looking at the system and you cannot even breed on such a system because it would fall down and then i break it apart try to analyze what's going on and then i realize that the problem was the way that they model their user interface and they had this rich model of the user interface where they would generate a, a lot of stuff dynamically and you had a lot of permissions and stuff like that and every basically every ui element in the page would uh, would have permission attached to that now try to imagine that you have an untrivial page and every column on every row had to be checked for permissions because you may be able to see the uh, uh, the total budget on this campaign but not on that campaign and not much of other stuff like that and the bigger your customer the more uh, uh, elements you had in the permissions table for one of the customer loading a single page resulted in 17000 queries to the database <laughs> i mean they literally threw money at the problem that they couldn't do that anymore i looked into the system and the permissions table everything in there was 2 million rows something like that 
I read all of that into memory. I create. I, I basically put everything inside a bunch of nested dictionaries and translated the. Uh, and instead of asking for one item at a time, the system would submit a bunch of IDs and would get a bunch of IDs back. And that and all of the work was done purely on the in-memory structures. And suddenly the the uh, the speed of the system went from five, seven seconds to render a page to five milliseconds to render a page. And the database CPU was basically nothing. This was not a unique experience. That was, I mean, I mean that was at the top, but that wasn't a unique experience. So I started getting this itchy feeling that I wish I could make something better. And the problem was I wasn't working with stupid people. If I was in a field where I would come and clean up after uh, uh, stupidity, I would say, okay, it makes sense. Problem, I was working with passionate people that were trying their utmost to get things done the right way, and they kept failing. They kept failing in the same way. So I started thinking about what I could do to make things better, to make the, the, the system better. And I realized that the problem was that the interaction model with the database was one of the uh, key issues here. Two aspects of that here. One of them is that there is the export system issue. For example, if I want to build an application today, what do I need to do? I need to understand front-end technology, back-end technology, databases, Kubernetes, networking. No one can do that. A full-stack developer is a shallow pool developer. You may know this, this, and this. You can get by until you're going to crash. I actually know a few full-stack developers that like are serious, and all of them have 10, 15 years of actual experience in order to get to this point, and even them would have would have uh, areas of expertise. The problem here is that, okay, you make so much demands of the, the system in general, of the people, that something has got to give. And in many cases, this is the database, because people don't think, they just assume, okay, the database will do all of the work. So that's one side of the issue. And databases in general needs to be managed by experts. The other side is that the amount of complexity that we have in our application today is astounding. If you think about that, uh, go 20, 30 years ago, a complex system was one where you have the master details form. That was it. That was the interaction. Physically on the screen, this is what you could put. There wasn't like any other options. But today you're expected to throw all of that information uh, to the user and everything has to be immediate. So the uh, level of complexity just uh, exploded. But if you're still using the same uh, database uh, with relation and tables and uh, limited ability to express complexity, it's going to mean that you have to throw the data on many tables. That's going to cause issues with joins, cottage products, uh, many queries, all sorts of stuff like that. So I started looking into uh, other options, other databases. And I remember looking into the NoSQL movement. Mm-hmm. It made sense. Yes, this is uh, there is no impedance mismatch between how I represent the data in my uh, database and how I represent the data in my application. And then I actually tried to use them. I don't know if you anyone ever looked into actually using late 2000 
non-relational databases. But this was like juggling knives. If everything <laughs> went right, great. If everything did not went right, you were picking up your time by your mouth because you didn't have any other fingers. All of them, for example, uh, RevDB is an ACI database, which means that uh, it is transactional. If you write data, you will not lose it. And all of the databases of that era did not have this also basic property, which is utterly insane for me. Uh, and all of them had to be very carefully and manually managed in order to get everything. I knew that this wouldn't work. I was working with people who were using a relational database and couldn't get uh, couldn't get that to work to an optimal uh, degree. Even if they had a DBA that was familiar with things, even if they were following the industry best practices, so. I decided, I, I didn't decide, I started dreaming about how I can build, how I can have something better, not even build that. I, I fantasized about a database that would match the things that I wanted, and it wouldn't leave my head. At one point, I started jotting some idea, and then writing some code. And then eventually, I was spending uh, 18 hours days working on that. And then he said, okay, if I'm working on that so much, I might as well try to make money out of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this is how basically RevenDB came into being. It's a distributed document database that has uh, ACID transactional guarantees. It has some really interesting properties. For example, uh, if you make a query to RevenDB, it is always going to use an index. This is because if you don't have an index, you have to do an O N operation. You have to do a table scan, which is great if you have small tables, small collections, but it grows worse and worse as time goes by. This is the sort of things that fall over at some point, horribly so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Revenue doesn't do that, but it allows you to do whatever queries you want. And the way that it works is that we have a query optimizer that look into your queries and would understand what is the index that you want to have. And then it's going to go ahead and create that index for you. This is a feature, by the way, that to my knowledge is unique to just RevenDB. No one of the database does that. And it's a really interesting thing because it drove us to oh, we have to be able to dynamically create indexes in production with no disruption of service. At the same time, uh, the fact that we can do that means that we can do some really, really cool things. So based on the amount of work that you're sending to RevenDB, based on the queries that you're doing, we can change how RevenDB itself behaves. And suddenly you move from having to have this full-time babysitter to your database to having the uh, 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 the database adjust dynamically to what you're doing. Hmm. One of the, the, the issues that, that, that I remember being very afraid of, deploy a new system to production. And the problem was that we might have changed the queries. And if we change those queries, we might have changed the, uh, the query plan and maybe the statistics were wrong or something like that, and suddenly we hit a, a, a performance pitfalls. Or I, I remember at one point we had a, 
we had a security issue in the system. And the security issue was that the login page did not check that a, a, the user was banned or not. So you might ban a user, but, it, but all it would do is they kick them off the system. <laughs> then they would have to log in again. So uh, they discovered that on an unpleasant manner, so we had to rush a, a fix. Now, honestly, think about what it means. It means end ban equal false to the uh, login page. That's roughly <laughs> what it was. The problem was that ban equal false changed the, uh, the query to use change a query to use a table scan on the user's table. Because we had users already logged into the system after we banned them, what we ended up doing was a, a forcing every user on the system to re-log in. Ah, wow. And yeah. we took down the system. None of that was, I, I mean, uh, the, the code went through detailed code review. We tested that. But we did a test that on production workload with all of the users trying to log in at 9 a.m. on Monday. Those are the sort of things that drove the, the, the design of OpenDB. I wanted something that wouldn't allow you to, to fail so easily. That, uh, oh, you, you run this query, I will learn from that, and I would make it faster. And that was a decade ago. We've been working on building RevenDB ever since. RevenDB is actually written in C-sharp, and we had a, we had a major rewrite in around 2015, mm-hmm. which coincided with the DNX.NET Core movement, which was absolutely amazing for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, it used to be the case that if you had a bug, if you found a bug in the .NET framework, you just leave with that. <laughs> Even, you just, there was no way around that because there was 18 months release cycle at best, uh, even if you were working with someone who had a enterprise support contract, the typical answer, which would be late, would we're not fixing that, or here is a workaround which isn't helpful, or uh, uh, there was connect, which was where bugs went to die, <laughs> and suddenly all of the dotted core, all of the dotted core was on GitHub, so you didn't have to use Reflector to figure out where the bug was. And you suddenly could send a PR for that. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you had direct access to the uh, .NET Core team, which are absolutely amazing. I, I don't know if that was intentional or happened by accident, but people starting fixing pet peeves, a file stream API allocates. It shouldn't. But it means that I have to live with those allocations a lot of very minor changes. And for a long time, up until the span, uh, uh, the spinification, which was increasing two, two, one, three, or something like that, all of those things were relatively minor, but they started this noble rolling. Suddenly people pay attention to that. And you suddenly got to see the, the system evolve in a, such a dramatic manner. I wrote a database engine uh, in C-sharp in 2013. We're still using that today. And I needed to write a, a new piece for that. And we're talking about this month or something like that. And the code that I write is dramatically different, far more efficient, 
and extremely idomatic. So uh, I used to have to use unmanaged code and uh, pointers and portal automatic sunny. I can do everything with spans. And I don't have to worry about uh, buffer overflows and things like that because mm-hmm. this is checked, mm-hmm. but also optimized. And uh, uh, that's just an order of magnitude better in terms of the quality of life that you see. I would imagine that those that, that aren't as familiar with RavenDB would think that C Sharp and, and .NET wouldn't be performant enough for writing something like a database engine. Is that, I mean, you've obviously proven that that's not the case. I've proven that this is the case, actually. You cannot, okay, let's put this way. It's a question of what is idiomatic C sharp. For example, Link uh, uh, is idiomatic C sharp. It makes for very clean code in many cases. It is also horribly, horribly wrong for performance reasons. Uh, any high-performance code base is going to absolutely forbid that. Uh, if you aren't careful, a lot of uh, APIs would cause you to drop into the spiral of allocation and juices and stuff like that. I spent most of 2014 fighting with the GC. I would get uh, I would get a support call here we're seeing high CPU I would say okay give me the time in GC time in GC is 85 90% 85% of the time you spent in side of revenue was just clean up garbage that the 15 other 15 uh, other percent generated that's like there's no way to win that so uh, you do pooling and you do a whole bunch of other stuff like that and it helped but I think that the, the, the key aspect is that even uh, before Span and Loftos, C Sharp had value types, it had unmanaged code, and uh, uh, you can get quite far with a, a, a close to native code a performance with all of the usual benefits for a, a, of a managed language. Hmm. Let, let, let me give you something that appears to be trivial. Have you ever used concurrent dictionary or a, a concurrent bug? Yeah, I believe uh, so. Yeah, uh, it is nearly impossible to write something like that in a, a unmanaged language. You can, but you have to uh, create tremendous amount of additional complexity just to allow you to free memory in a, 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 in the appropriate places. So uh, it seems silly, but, oh, having an efficient concurrent dictionary means that a whole lot of problems just become trivial because I could mm-hmm. just reach out and do that. Uh, and it turns out that uh, there is another really important aspect for building a software. In most cases, you have hotspots. And I can optimize the hell out of those hotspots with the ugliest code you have ever seen. Just to give you some idea, I'm doing JSON parsing by comparing directly against constant numeric values. So, for example, if I need to, let's say that uh, I have a results value, 
results is a six bytes value and I can compare that using two machine instructions. So I can do that by uh, saying uh, uh, RESU or something uh, uh, that is this specific also. Let's compare against that. The resulting code is horrendous in terms of readability, mm. but it generates an amazing assembly. So I can do that for the, uh, uh, the important pieces. But then I can say, oh, you know what? I need to do something here that would be called once a minute. And I can now express myself in a, a very high-level manner without really having to think about that. Yeah. And it's also very important when you start looking at a problem. In many cases, you it's like rendering passes. I write the code that I want to run, and I can do that at a high level, extremely inefficient, allocating everything, whatever. And then I says, okay, let's do another pass and remove this sort of allocation. Then another pass, and you end up with really good code, but you do that in iterative fashion. Mm-hmm. And if I was trying to do this in C, for example, then, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. In order to do that in C, I have to do everything the right way up front, and I have to have this mental baggage of, uh, memory management and location, all sorts of stuff up front, which is a huge cost. Right now, I think if you look at the tech and power benchmarks, I believe that you will see that uh, C Sharp is consistently in the top five places. And the interesting thing here is that C Sharp is in the top 20 for the non-optimized to that scenarios. And it ends up that there are tricks that you can play for uh, databases, engines, for example, that change the whole ballgame. So, for example, one of the things that our users really care about is speeds of write. They really care about Mm -hmm. being able to write this very quickly. At the same time, they really care about the durability of the data. So if you gave me a piece of data you really care that if I told you that they save it, that it wouldn't get lost along the way. We, we used to have to compete against a database where they would tell you that the, the operation was persisted when they wrote the data to the socket. In most cases, the data would still sit in a user mode buffer. So that was great for benchmarking, but not so much for the actual durability. So, and the problem here is that we have to deal with disks. The primary issue is that they are slow and they yeah. cheat and they lie. One of the things that we are doing, we're doing something called transaction merging. And transaction merging is we take multiple concurrent transactions that are in flight and instead of lock, run a transaction, write to this release, we are aggregating all of them at once and then we are throwing them in and then we are uh, 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 sending all of them to the disk in one shot. Now, this is sitting and this is the production code on top of concurrent queue and bunch of other stuff like that. And it took me six hours from com- coming up with the idea to seeing an order of magnitude improvement. An order of magnitude improvement in the speed of flights just because of the ability to express myself in that manner. Yeah. Then we had another uh, order of magnitude improvement later on 
once we have done that in the proper and clean fashion, it makes a world of difference being able to express yourself at this level. So for our listeners who may be looking to get started with RavenDB, are there any resources that you can point them to to help them with that process of saying, hey, we want to start using this? Yeah, so um, you can go to RavenDB.net and the website has all of the details. I think that the most interesting resource, if you want, if you know nothing and uh, you want to get started, go to demo.revenb.net. That gives you code samples and guidance about how to do everything. There is also a, a, a book that I wrote that is available on the website. And that takes you from knowing absolutely nothing about uh, Raven and about NoSQL and document databases to being able to deploy a, a globally distributed uh, 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 replicated data, stra- data set across uh, uh, geo-distributed location, a bunch of other uh, pretty cool stuff around that. Client API for RavenDB is is rich. It was written intentionally to mimic um, the Entity Framework API. Mm-hmm. So in many cases, if you're familiar with Entity Framework, you can just shift directly to RavenDB with uh, very little mental overhead. With the difference is that, okay, now I don't have to worry about how the uh, database is going to look like because I can just persist my uh, documents, my entities, and they're going to be stored as JSON documents. And uh, I don't need to worry about, okay, I have dynamic data or I have complex data structures that are just going to be stored, retrieved, queries are going to auto-optimize and, auto-optimize and stuff like that. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with uh, some other people that are maybe getting started or trying to level up their own careers? Write code. Absolutely write code and write different types of code. If you're working on business applications, go and write something that is completely unrelated to that. Go and write a, a compiler go and write a, a, a caching system, something, and the reason this matters is that it opens you up to additional information and it ends up being super useful down the line. I did not get compression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely did not get compression. So I went and looked into compression algorithms, and there are a lot of them that are available, and uh, you look at them, and they look like Greek to me. Most Greek, because they usually use a lot of uh, math in them. No idea how it works. So I went and uh, wrote, so basically I went and looked into a compression library written in Java. I ported that to .NET and wrote about the experience. I learned about Huffman encoding, I learned about uh, how you can uh, uh, find uh, identical and, and redundant values, a lot of other stuff like that. Fascinating. Utterly, utterly useless to what I was doing. That was 2014-2015. Two or three years later, I needed to write the, the licensing system for RavenDB. 
And one of the things that I wanted to do, I wanted to give you a license key that is as small as possible, but we wanted to express things like how many calls you have, how many, uh, what features you have, all of stuff like that. I used the knowledge from the uh, compression system to create something there. Basically, I created a static compression to it, and it was extremely efficient. Later on, Facebook came out with a feature with a compression algorithm called ZSTD. A ZSTD is this really cool algorithm. It's meant for modern software. It has better performance and better uh, compression ratio than uh, previous algorithms. Everything is great. Then someone goes into the repository for ZSTD and say, hey, it would be really cool if you had dictionary compression. And they explain what they want to do. And they point out to my blog post about <laughs> that. Now, I have no idea this is happening. Two years later, I need to do, I need to do a, a dictionary compression because I need to do the exact scenario that I wanted to do five years ago. And, uh, and now someone read my blog post, wanted that, implement that in ZSTD. I was able to take that and implement that and get 70% reduction in disutilization. You know, this is one story when I had an idea and it went around and it was amazing. It's like preordained. <laughs> uh, but in so many other cases, you look into something and it's completely useless. But then it became such an important uh, uh, aspect down the line because you internalize that. Hmm. So uh, write code, but you know, before read code. Go and look into production code. The, the, the fact that we are now at the age that open source is almost the default is amazing because you can now go and look into a, a, the code base, the code bases that people with decades of experience have written. And you can do something even better. You can go and ask them questions. Pretty much every single scenario that I've seen that there is a, a, a Git repository or something like that, you can go and open an issue and the person who wrote the code will answer that. Where can our listeners uh, go to follow you and sort of keep up with what you're working on? My uh, my blog is at ayende.com slash blog. Uh, I'm also ayende Twitter and also the primary location that you would find me. Oren, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Uh, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Oren Eni. Oren is the founder of Hibernating Rhinos, which develops RavenDB, a NoSQL, open source, and ACID document database. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach a potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. <laughs>